This is Rugger Matrix America. Hey, welcome everybody to the show, and this is show number eighty-two. And and boy, this is what, what a show it is because uh, a whole bunch of stuff happened while we were uh, between show number eighty-one and show number eighty-two. And of course, the big news is that uh, Al Caravelli is no longer the coach of the USA Sevens national team. Uh, we he was gone, and Alex Magleby is now running the team. And we have somebody to talk a little bit about international sevens, elite level sevens uh, coming up, and and that's really exciting. But first of all, uh, just to remind you, I'm Alex Goff with. With rugbymag.com and we have Pat Clifton in Kansas City and we have Bruce McLean in New York and it's actually very late for for Bruce uh, possibly past his bedtime so um, if you choose to picture Bruce uh, in uh, bunny slippers and like a, a full body sleeper and a, and a little Scrooge hat on uh, feel free Bruce how's it going Alex unfortunately yes. I, I am it is very late for me and and I had just got in from rugby practice and I'll tell you, I am not used to these post midnight uh, these post midnight shows. Although we have done them once in a while, but I am really excited for this show. As actually, the past few shows have been quite exciting. And can I say that I am going to be one of those picturing Bruce in the bunny <laughs> slippers and the full body, you know, onesie with like the uh, the the four buttoned, you know, drop down menu from the back. If you know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm envisioning Bruce wearing as we speak. Actually, I was just going to ask if you were going to envision me with the drop-down buttons from the back. It's more of a Dennis the, it's more of the, Dennis the Menace kind of thing is what I was thinking, just sort of homespun uh, uh, a little bit um, like Depression-era rural Midwest. Bruce would last two freaking minutes if he was west of, let's say, Pennsylvania – and if I was hanging of, out with Ron Paul, I'd East be okay. Nevada. He couldn't last two minutes in my world. Well, we have gone all the way west to the coast of the Pacific Ocean to get our guest this time. And it is James Walker, who is director of rugby at Belmont Shore. And, of course, Belmont Shore is one of the, the leading clubs in the nation, whether they were in the Super League or now in Division One. And also, uh, James is heavily involved with the Belmont Shore slash Tiger Rugby Sevens program, and he takes that Tiger Rugby program all over the place, uh, not only uh, as recently as uh, getting the final of the Men's Elite Sevens at the Las Vegas Invitational in Las Vegas in February, but also uh, to Kenya and uh, you know through the, the South Pacific, all over the place. So, James, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Now, James, uh, you know, I, I guess... Uh, the big thing that's going on is that Al Caravelli is no longer the the coach of the USA uh, Sevens team. You've coached a lot of the players who um, uh, are on the team or uh, have been on the team. You've worked very closely with with many of those guys. Um, you know, w- what's your take on on the changeover? Well, um, first of all, let me back up and just correct something, if I may. Um, I'm actually now the president of Belmont Shore um, Rugby Club. Commiserations on that. Uh, it's exactly. It's a, it sometimes can be a bit of a poison chalice, but no. In, in all seriousness, it's a it's a great great club, and um, it's a real honour for me. Um, on the L situation, um, I'm you know I'm in two minds. Obviously, 
um, I'm an optimistic guy, so um, I always think that change change can be a very good thing. Um, however, that said, you know, I think I just want to uh, express that I think uh, El Clavelli's done a hell of a job. You know, he's been there for five six years, and without a doubt, the difference in the in the quality of the program now to when he started is just night and day. Um, so I just want to start by by saying that. Um, obviously, you know. As everyone's heard, there's there's been you know talk back and forth and behind the scenes about change and you know some players being disgruntled that this that and the other. But you're gonna have that with you know regardless of which coach which coach is in there. Well, you know you you are because you're going you there are players who are not going to be picked or players who don't like being told um, what's going on uh, you know with the way the team is put together. And and, and I guess we should start out by pointing out that. Um, when Al Caravelli took over the team, it was mired in a massive losing streak, um, and it was still in a losing streak when he took the team over. Uh, they were only playing in three three tournaments in the IRB circuit, and he he improved their performance. Uh, and in 2007, they were still only playing in three games, but they made the the top eight in Hong Kong, and that prompted them to be invited to three more tournaments. So in 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 the 2007-8 season, they played in six. They became a core team in 2009. They've been a core team ever since. There and and we we discussed this uh, in the other show, Pat. But uh, we we know that the they're changing how they figure out who's a core team or not. And and it's been lucky for the USA because even if the USA continues to to not get wins, they'll be a core team next year. But even so, Al Caravelli got. Got us there. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just interrupt. You know, I, yeah. I think what you just said is very important. You know, they uh, they have changed the core team status. There's, there's, I believe, three more teams coming in next year. So none of the current core teams are actually going to get demoted. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that the following year, 2014, uh, it's all up for grabs. Um, so there's very, very little time to waste. Um, but I, I do want to say that, you know, with with L. Um, I actually twitted them. Um, was lucky enough to twer with them in uh, Argentina. We took the Tigers down. That Alex came down as a manager. Uh, you know, I was the coach. He was the manager, and uh, I learned a lot from him. You know, on the on the on the positive side, he was incredibly passionate about what he wanted to do for USA Rugby. I mean, the guy worked harder than anyone I've ever met in in rugby, and I think we need to take our head off, you know, to him for that. But also the uh, the amount of um, precision. And, uh, you know, just just effort that was put in is just unbelievable. Um, but that said, you know, sometimes you take you take a team as far as you can take it and and change is good. So so, you know, we'll see how it all pans out. Let me write off of James's um, coattails there. Al Caravelli is a guy in Al and I, Alex and I had had a lot of conversations behind closed curtains, behind closed doors, just off the record about the kind of commitment this guy had and the commitment that Al had to USA rugby into USA to the sevens team is, you know, specifically was unparalleled. There is nobody in my opinion, and I've expressed this to Alex off the record again, but here we go on, on air. There's nobody within USA rugby who's put more effort into their role and into the advancement of the game since I've been paying attention, which is about five years than Al Caravelli. This guy um, you know, made a lot of money on his own as a personal, you know, in his own private businesses. And he, 
he sacrificed a lot personally, professionally, to do what he could with this team. So Al's effort will never, ever be in question. And I do agree that with both Alex and, and James's assessments that Al has brought this club um, or this program a long ways in the time that he's in the six years or whatever it has been that he's been involved. So I, I think that a big pat on the back is uh, due to Al from USA rugby community. And a big thank you is due to him because nobody put in more effort over that time period, be it 15s or sevens than Al Caravelli did, in my opinion. I agree. And you know, it's uh, and what, what I, what I meant to say in the previous, um, previous sentence was that, uh, the amount of detail that he puts into planning is just unparalleled. And, you know, he, he was a guy that was given a program with very little funding. Um, you know, he had a whole myriad of jobs to do. He had, he had to wear lots of different hats. You know, you don't see this in, in any of the countries that we play against. I mean, these guys have got multiple assistants and assistant coaches and managers and, you know, this, that, and the other. I'll have to do it all himself. And, uh, you know, for that, I'll take my hat off because, I, you know, I've done that at the club level. And even at the club level, it's an absolute handful. So I tell you what, he's done a, a hell of a job. And, you know, it's kind of a pity in a way that that uh, he hasn't he doesn't get a chance to prove himself now that we have a, uh, you know, a quote unquote professional system, which we can talk about later. But um you know, it's it's a pity, but I think he's he's served an, a a very important role in getting the team to where it needs to go to go to the next step. I I was just wondering, James, what you thought about. You know, I mean, Alex Williams got fired, which I don't know if anyone knows that. Uh, she was a high performance director for women's rugby, and and the same day Al got fired, or a day a day before or after. And, and we can just say, like, was there an abdication of responsibility on the part of the director of rugby for the entire time he's been here? I mean, he's been paid as the director of rugby. And now he's taking more of a rugby role, but he's been paid. Is he going to give that money back? The women's high performance director has been canned. The, the sevens men's national team coach has been canned. The the uh, the female 15s coaches either resigned or were canned. I'm not sure about that. Um, and the men's 15s national team coach was his contract was up, and and I think that that was relatively understood that he was taking us through that era. Now, I I think that some of the responsibility for a lot of what's happened has to fall on the shoulders of the director of rugby and the chairman of the board, and a lot of things got passed over on Ed Haggerty's article that he wrote about this because it was very close to World Cup time and it was unfair to the players. Mm-hmm. Now everything now everything's out in the open. I think that, yes, while we looked at Al and, and his performance and things, we also have to look at Al and say when Todd Clever was on the ropes and not getting selected, he was getting selected in sevens. Chris Wiles, Dina Gwenya. And people were brought in and, and Kevin Swearing. So there are people who were pulled and he never had. Something says to me that it's not all the people who are in charge of those teams. I think that there's something to be said for there has to be looking at the director of rugby and the chairman of the board. Okay, that's quite a lot to, to digest. 
Um, let me let me say that I, I don't said we're honest on this show. Yeah, no, and that's that's fine. Um, let me just say that I don't know. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about Nigel Melville. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, let me start off by saying that that you know, I think most people think of me as a sevens guy, but I'm not. I'm a traditionalist. I'm very much a rugby guy. I started as a 15s coach. I love the sevens coaching, and and the reason I actually got into it was because it didn't take as much time. And uh, you know, I'm a businessman first and foremost. Um, but I do love the sevens and I actually am a big believer that sevens is a way forward for us to, to draw massive audience in the United States and ultimately feed the 15s program through the sevens. I think that is truly the way to go. And again, I'm sure Bruce, we can, we can probably go back and forth on this, but, but I just think we can compete a lot quicker in sevens than we can in 15s. Um, that said, back to the, the Nigel issue. Again, I don't know the guy. I, I do feel like, um, you know, the coaches have got to be given responsibility, but at the same time, freedom. And I know that, you know, there was a time when, and El hasn't said anything about this to his credit. He hasn't made any excuses. Um, I know that he was fighting the system. I do know that. And uh, there's a lot of guys that were taken away from him at very critical times. And that obviously is going to affect your 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 stature on the circuit. Um, as far as the bigger job, you know, I'm sure we can discuss this all night long. Um, I'd like to talk more about why I started Tiger because it's actually it actually fits hand in glove with with this whole this whole question. I mean, the, the whole reasoning for Tiger Rugby is basically if we can't join them, we're going to beat them. Meaning that James, he, let's enter real quick. Let interject and say the definition essentially let me give my quick definition then you can follow me up and correct me tiger rugby um has has become a veritable second side for usa and i know that might be a little bit um you know offensive to you to say that it's a veritable second side but at the end of the day you have a lot of former eagles current eagles guys in the eagle pool who uh play for tiger rugby so just to clarify i'll say that and you guys obviously travel the world play in international tournaments playing its international teams. Um, yeah. so, so let me just add that in there and then you can, you know, go off of that. Yeah. Well, just to, when I, when I stopped playing, um, in my early thirties, I had a, a pretty serious shoulder injury. I was, I was actually, you know, playing for Occidental old boys in the Pasadena area. And, uh, when I quit the coach of the old boys was quitting. It was a division two side. I think we went one and nine that year. I mean, we were terrible. And, uh, the, you know, the, the team basically asked me if I would take over as a coach because I couldn't play. I was still recovering from injury. And uh, we bounced back really quickly. We went from one and nine to nine and two within, within two years, you know, made the playoffs in Newport. As a 15s coach, I was doing sevens on the side. And I remember going to the board and saying, you know, I, I caught the, the coaching bug and I went to the board and I said, guys, if we keep doing this, we're bringing players in. We've got to go to D1. We've got to make the most of this. Let's see what, where we can take this thing. And the board basically shot me down and said, you know, we're a social club and that's where we want to go. So in deference to the club, I kept the Tiger name. So the first time we went to Nationals, uh, which was 2006, we, uh, we went as the Oxy Tigers. And then slowly, the na- you know, the name transformed. The following year, I think we were the Belmont Tigers and then we went to Belmont Shore and so on and so forth. Now, the difference between Belmont Shore and the Tigers is that the Tigers is the touring team that we take around the world. I want to be able to go to 
guys like Bruce or, you know, Aaron Mannheimer or, or Paul Holmes and say, hey, who do you have that you want to expose at the highest level? Have them join the team without having them feel like they're giving up their loyalty by going to play for Belmont Shore. So the Tigers is, is very much a neutral brand. Um, so that's, you know, in a nutshell, it's kind of a short story, you know, the, sh- the short version of the story, but that's that's where we come from. Yeah, I remember that uh, that tournament in 2006. I think you won the plate. Uh, I think you only lost just the one game, and uh, and it, was, it it seemed like it was kind of out of nowhere, but it really wasn't. It was more of a, you know, you really had a plan in place f- for that group. But and it, and you've stepped in and you've taken the role of what used to be the Atlantis. I mean, Atlantis still exists and still does some things, and even the Pacific Coast Grizzlies have done a couple of things along those lines. But um, I guess what you're doing, James, is that you're doing something that is I, – I, and I, I hope it stays. I hope it sticks around. But USA Rugby should be doing something like this. USA Rugby should have a USA Cougars team that goes to Punta del Este, goes to Amsterdam, uh, goes to Singapore and Bangkok and Suva and places like that and plays. Uh, Alex, that's a great segue and, and that's kind of where, where I was going with this. First of all, let me just – define one difference you know I, i've always had great respect for in the sevens world there's a there's a couple of really great teams out there one of them by the name of samurai in england sure that tends to go to all the tournaments basically it is a team that's owned by a uh, jersey uh, manufacturer samurai is a, a brand and they go to all these major tournaments around the world he essentially pays for you know say the fijian club champs or the samoan club champs Every team is a different team. Um, same thing with Atlantis. I'm, Emil did an amazing job with Atlantis. But the one thing that, I, that I've, I felt we could have done better was retaining a core of players. You know, I, I started by getting guys like Rion Hamilton, for example, boys that have led the Eagles. He's 38 years old, but he can still play. You know? And we build a core, and we bring young guys around that core so that we don't have to start from scratch every time. So that's the big difference. We're not just a bar- barbarians team. We're essentially a core team that surrounds ourselves with, you know, four or five new faces or three new faces, depending on the, the level of the tournament. But to go to whether the U.S. Eagles could do it or the United States could do it, I think we're a long way off because if we had that kind of money, that money should be going into the contracts for the boys that are sitting in, in Chula Vista. You know, these guys deserve more than they're making. Um, so what we want to try to do as the Tigers is we, we're out there – raising our own funding, speaking to our own sponsors, and, and we're looking at some significant funding right now. The, 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 the goal is for us to get eight to 10 tournaments a year of the highest caliber and plug in players from around the nation, around that core team. Um, and ultimately, you know, I don't know what USA Rugby thinks of us. I've heard some stories. You know, Some people say they're threatened by us, but it's crazy because ultimately all we want to do is help raise the standard of rugby, help, you know, spread the pool, create a larger pool of players that are played at a higher level. And get, whether it's Mags or whoever the, the next coach is after Mag, Mag will be, give him, you know, 50 players to choose from that have already played internationally against international caliber players. Let me throw my compliments in here, if I may, Alex. Um, you know, James, we I feel very complimentary. I feel very highly of your, your program and Tiger Rugby and what you do. Um, what you guys did in Vegas is fantastic. You beat Spain. Um, you, you finished second in a really, really good tournament. The tournament included 
several of the uh, the teams that were uh, you know South American teams would be considered the the Guadalajara Pan Am Games. You beat you finished above Romania. You finished above Spain. Obviously, very very impressive um, thing to do. And you have a lot of guys that are ex Eagles or were in the Eagle Pool and whatnot, and that's that's impressive as well. And I'm not saying that your rival um, you know team with USA. But obviously, from the USA rugby perspective, it could be seen as well. We didn't do so hot inside of Vegas, but this team outside of Vegas really raised some bells. What they were doing there, um, so, so that's an obvious uh, storyline that we kind of followed a little bit and talked about a little bit. If you read any of the coverage from Vegas, but what I want to get down to is it's not just your experience as a sevens coach, but necessarily your experience with the guys who have been in and around the USA rugby program. And part of the things that we've talked about or heard about uh, about the Eric Al Caravelli exit um, is about the players and yeah. uh, the fact that some of the players and not just some, but a large amount of the players were disgruntled with the way that the program was running uh, in, in several different ways, whether it was micromanagement, whether it was, um, you know, questions about selections or this, that, and the other. And obviously if you're winning, then a lot of those questions go away because if you're winning, then your selections questions, oh, okay, so you don't agree with who I selected, but we won. So that goes yeah. away. Um, so a lot of the – obviously the losing that has happened recently adds into it. But I want to just ask you about – and as a guy who's coached a lot of the current X and Eagle Pool, got, Eagle Pool guys, what is the feeling in and around the club? I know obviously a lot of guys probably are Al Caravelli guys and some of them aren't. But – what is your take as far as the players that you know and who you've talked to? What's the feedback you're getting about the change? Be it pro Al Caravelli saying, why was he fired? Um, or pro Alex Magleby, I'm glad he's hired. Or, you know, outside of that. Okay. Well, let me start with saying that, that first of all, we're talking about two different levels in the sense that there's there's a lot of pressure at the international level that we don't go through. And, and believe me, we go through pressure. You know, the first the first team we played in Kenya a few months ago was Samoa. And uh, believe me, the boys get pretty amped up for that. You know, the one thing I can say about my coaching style and, and Paul Holmes is my partner in, in Tiger Rugby, um, has been a fantastic addition. Um, what we do is we try to create an environment that the players want to be in. And, and that's, I think, one of the main reasons we excel. Um, and, and you're right, there's a lot of guys that have played at the international level, and for whatever reason, they just don't get that, they don't get that same sense. You know, there's no, it, it, it just seems like for, for whatever reason, the spirit in that team was just dead. You know, I, I watched them sometimes, and I don't know whether it was personal personality issues or what the case is, but... but I, I still feel either L was too stretched or there was lack of communication out there um, from whether it was from USA Rugby or from L or whether he needed a manager on the team. I think there's a lot of reasons why that happened. But uh, I will tell you that there's a, quite a few of the boys that play for me that feel very hard done by. And um, I think some of it had to do with selections. I'll tell you right now, you know, I'm sure L will hear this program at some point and he's a friend of mine, but we do have fundamental differences of selection, you know, and, and my biggest fundamental difference, if I had to name one thing, is that I believe in putting 12 rugby players on the pitch. I don't give a hoot. Well, that was actually pretty PG, but I don't. Yeah, that's good. I, I, 
I don't care if the guy can run. I mean, I do care, but it doesn't matter to me whether the guy can run a four seven or a five flat. You know, I think to me, the most important thing is, is what does your rugby brain do when the pressure is on? And uh, then you look at guys like Atta Malifa that plays for me. The guy's never had a shot at the, at that, at the sevens. Um, his brother has played there. They're always deemed too slow. But I'll tell you what, I take them on international tour against Samoa, Fiji. We played against South Africa. We played against the Argentinian national team. These guys tear them up. They cut lines left, right, and center. You know, you need players running off those guys. You don't need seven guys or 12 guys in a squad that can run a 4-7. Listen, if we, had, if we had 12 guys that can run a 4-7, 4-8, 4-9 rugby skills, fantastic. But it's just not realistic. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. So that, that is my... My biggest fundamental difference is that I believe that the players got disgruntled by too many um, too many uh, jerseys given away lightly. And James, let me dovetail off of that real quick, if I may. Um, not necessarily just guys you've coached, right? But there is there are a lot of stuff as coaches. You, Aaron Manheimer, Paul Holmes, as you mentioned, Andre Sneeman, a new guy, though he's been you know he's obviously got the credentials and in, in Glendale and. And there's teams and there's a team in Texas, the Wolves Exiles. You go all around the country, you go to the Young Bloods of Minnesota. Obviously, there are East Coast programs, but Scooper how Rimmer. deep? How deep? And I don't. I'm not saying give me. You know, tell me there are 43 guys that are capable of playing international rugby. But how deep is the pool? Because you know, if you ask Al, I think Al got um, had a, he had a lot of invested in in the numbers, like you said about your 40 times about your um, your fitness number times about your beat test times, those things meant a lot to him. And I'm not saying that they were invalid, but I'm saying they did mean a lot to him. How, if you could say, listen, there's this number of guys in the country who are good enough one way or another to play international rugby. How deep is that pool? Because eventually whoever the coach is, that's going to matter. And no matter what, that that's going to matter. How many guys are available that you know that can play rugby they can play rugby at this high level. Okay, well, I, I promised myself I was going to use this phrase, but you, you, you can't polish a turd, okay? There's, there's a bunch of guys that can run a, a four, four, seven forty, but they can't tie their own shoelace. They can't pass left, they can't pass right. It's a lot harder to teach that guy to pass left or right than to find a guy that can run a five flat and get his body in shape. And let me, let me use a... a, a and I'll, I'll answer your question, Pat. I, I think it's actually pretty deep. You know, I think the biggest problem with, with what we have with our, our quote-unquote rugby players, the guys that have been playing for a number of years, is that a lot of them aren't playing in top programs. So they might have good skills, but they haven't learned the nutrition. They haven't learned how to take care of their bodies, build their bodies up. That can be worked with, you know. And, and I would rather focus on that than focus on getting guys who are already 22, 23. They've been turned on by the NFL, and now we're going to turn them into rugby players. It's just not going to happen at that level. You know, and I've seen it time and time again. In fact, I've had a couple come through my program, you know, and I've tried my best with these guys, but it just isn't there, you know. Um, how deep? Last night I was, uh, I was down in Carson, uh, which, is, which is a suburb of uh, Los Angeles. Uh, Salty Thompson flew in for an uh, under-19s, under-18s uh, program. He was looking for sevens players and 15s players. There were 98 kids out there, and I tell you what, man, the talent, the amount of talent out there was just staggering. 
I think the bottom line is we've got to be patient. We've got to wait for these kids to come through. The guys that are playing now, they're starting at, you know, we have under 10 at Belmont Shore, and there's many clubs out there that have the same thing. These are the guys that are truly going to take us to the next level. What we really need to focus on is coaching because a lot of these kids don't have the coaching, they don't have the access to nutritionists and um, trainers and all, you know, all the things they need. But I think the pool is actually a lot deeper than, than most people think it is. Well, we're speaking with Belmont Shores, James Walker, and we will be right back on Rugga Matrix America. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Hey, we're back with James Walker on Rugby Matrix America. And, Bruce, I know you had a question about player choice and uh, talking with James Walker at Belmont Shore. One of the places where I would have, where I disagree with a lot of people is the crossover athlete thing. And I think that a lot of it has to do with is your, does your desire and your commitment outdo your athletic ability? And if that's not the case, then you really can't go anywhere with it. And I think that what happens is guys gets, you know, guys come out and like, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try this rugby thing. And they think they're going to make $150,000 playing for Wasps or Saracens in like three months because they were a second-string football player at some school that came, you know, 30th in the country. And and the fact of the matter is, that's not good enough. And and when you're dealing with people who are who are really good players, that's pretty tough to do. Now. I'm not saying that you turn away guys like that, but I think that what happens is we give them unrealistic expectations and we fast track them. And then that's fine to fast track them and give them an opportunity. But it's almost like once that opportunity has gone, they're gone from the game. Is it better to give an opportunity to a guy who actually earned it? No, it's, it's, there, there are a couple of things that, that, that spring to mind on this. And first of all, you know, the, the whole crossover thing and, and, you know, point out, you know, a rugby magazine and, and, and I wrote the article rugby magazine went full on in, uh, into supporting the crossover thing and getting excited about it. We put Jonathan Pratter on the cover of rugby magazine a couple of years ago. We talked to Dallas Robinson. We, we discussed uh, other football players coming through things like that. Well, Pratter didn't really pan out, and and James, you had him on. Uh, he's one of those guys that you worked with. Dallas Robinson didn't pan out. Tommy Saunders played for the USA, and you know he he, he had some things he could do, but he didn't really pan out. Um, uh, Ber- Benny Brazel. I mean, that's that's the guy I think that everyone ho- holds up as someone who has handed a USA jersey and turned around and parlayed that USA jersey into like an arena football contract. Um, Leonard Peters, I thought, was becoming a terrific player before he had to stay in Hawaii for family reasons. I thought he was going to be great. And Miles Craigwell is moving along, but the question is, should he be moving along on the national team? So, so James, I mean, you, you, can, you can address any of those guys you want, but, but one of the things is that if we go back to the USA Cougars uh, second team, um, 
we have to have that from USA Rugby because if you want to get a bunch of guys, maybe somebody who's 18 or somebody else who, like you said, um, maybe just needs to work harder and play. And he's a good rugby player, but he needs to play at that level. Or he's a he's a, a crossover and he he just needs to be throw in throw him in there and see what he can do. USA Rugby should be doing that because you've got a touring side in Tiger that not only has to, you you want to develop american players but it they have to, you have to do well your sponsors want you to do well you're not i mean rian hamilton's never going to play for the usa again no. but you have him on the team and there's a reason why you have him on the team because the guy knows an awful lot he's forgotten more about sevens rugby than i've ever known and he knows what he's doing and you know what you're going to get out of him so that's your responsibility but should there be some kind of thing so we can we can some kind of venue where we put somebody like Jonathan Pratter or Tommy Saunders out there and see if he really cares about it and he really is going to work hard and he's really going to develop and not on the national team. Okay, so that, that, that's, a, that's a mouthful, but let me... That's, that's like three questions. <laughs> let, me, um, let me start with some of those guys. Okay, so Jonathan Pratter, JP, he came down to Belmont Shore. You know, he was semi-committed. Yes, the guy was a, incredibly fast, but that was about it. I mean, I've got to be honest. If he stuck with it, he would have maybe made my second side in sevens. Maybe. I mean, he's just had no business being mentioned on the cover of, of your magazine. Um, Benny, Fair enough. Benny Brazil, I don't even think he was as good as Jonathan Prater. I mean, it was that's an embarrassment. I'm, I'm just being totally honest with you guys. Uh, Tommy Saunders played for the U.S. Eagles. He got placed at Belmont Shore. I told Al I would take him. He, I remember at practice, he would stand off in the corner. He wouldn't associate himself with the players. He was nowhere near the level of talent that I had at Belmont Shore. I played him on the second side. Um, I got grief for playing him on the second side because he's an eagle. You know, guess what? He's not a Tiger or a Belmont Shore first team player. I'm sorry. And if that, you know, if that upsets people, I'm sorry. That's, that's the way I coach. I select players based on what I see. Um, you know, who, who else did you mention? Um, uh, Dallas, Robinson Dallas Robinson and Leonard Dallas Peters. Dallas Robinson, again, the fastest 40 I've ever seen. Um, but the guy couldn't tie his own shoelace. I mean, it was, he just wasn't the answer. <laughs> and, and we're spending so much time right. on these guys, you know, when there's so many kids out there. And this is one of the reasons I partnered with Paul is that I wanted, I wanted more of a, uh, a look at players from around the country. I, I spent a, a good while on the phone today with Aaron Mannheimer. I mean, I want these coaches involved. If we're doing 10 target tours a year, I can't possibly coach them all. I've got a business to run. I've got lots of other interests. I want to make Tiger a place where we can develop coaches and players. I can go to Aaron as long as a guy like Mannheimer or, or, or Paul Holmes or Chris Ryan or any of these guys agree with the fundamental way that we want to bring players through the system, I'd love to have them involved. Um, I'm not going to coach them. I'll give them the reins. Off you go. But, uh, you know, your, the, the previous question about whether we should have a USA Cougars team or whether the Tigers can do the same thing, yes, I do have sponsors, and yes, we will succeed. But I will tell you, I don't select Rion because we want to win. I select Rion because I believe in balance in a team. And I think that's where we go wrong in the national team. Rion is essentially a coach on the field. Are there better forwards out there right now? There probably are, you know, man for man. But what he brings to the team is unquantifiable. He's, he's like my right-hand man. He's a lieutenant on the pitch. 
and the guys learn so much around him. I mean, we took a couple of really, really young players to, to Kenya and the difference between day one when we played Samoa and day two when we beat Bristol in the final um, was like night and day. These guys grew up in front of my eyes and that's what we're all about. So yes, we can absolutely work with whether it's Alex Magleby or whoever the next coach is to, to isolate these players. But if they try to hand me something that I don't agree with, like a Benny Brazil, I'm just going to politely decline or maybe not so politely. James, let me, yeah. <laughs> let me talk if I may. Um, I will take a little bit of exception to the Tommy Saunders. Tommy Saunders uh, grew up in Kansas City. I'm from Kansas City, as you guys all well know. Um, he beat my high school team while I was still playing for them, 63-3, to which is impressive. Um, I think it's an actually state record books for one of the worst ass beatings of all time. Um, but, and you mentioned a couple of the guys, Tommy Saunders was a good enough athlete to be a really good sevens player. His commitment okay. and other things were, were different, but his side to side was night and day to that. Of like I could run straight, um, for three hours at a very high pace, whereas Tommy could shift side to side. Okay, so, so I'll just take exception to that, but so, so can me, I can I, can I can, well let me just jump in on that real quick, Pat, before you change the subject. I agree with you. Actually, I drove all the way back from Vegas one weekend with Tommy. He's actually a really nice guy. He's just a, a bit of a quiet guy. Um, he had a he had a potentially a big future, but he's the kind of guy you got to spend three years in a good program like Bruce. There you go, Nyack or uh, Belshaw or, or for Paul Keeler, San Fran Golden get under Johnny Nakika. He's got to spend two three years. He's got no business. Putting on an eagle jumper. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't I don't care what we're trying to do, fast tracking it, but we cannot give away the national jersey to guys just because they're good athletes. I'm sorry. Point was taken on that, James. And that's uh, it falls in line really with what Bruce's good friend Mike Tolkien has talked about with the 15s team. That we cannot make caps cheap. They have yep. to be well earned, and they have to be people that have deserved them to get them. Um, and, and I agree with that. And I'm not saying Tommy should have ever been a cap eagle, um, but Back to the real point is, and, and I will say, you know, a caveat of that is you're right. Cast cannot be cheap, but different coaches like different tastes. You know, one coach may, you know, I'll resort back to my football history and say a uh, West Coast football coach might like, might like this kind of talent, this kind of receiver, this kind of quarterback who can do this, this, and this. Maybe his arm strength's not important, but his uh, reading ability and his accuracy is very important. Um, whereas it seemed to me that Al Caravelli was, and not, I'm not going to say errantly worried, but he had fitness at the end. He held it at a very high regard, which you have to do in sevens, but also just your top end speed and some of the quantifiable numbers. And I'm not saying, and, and we all know, and you've admitted you and Al were friends. So I'm not saying, tell me your friend was wrong, but at the same time was Al, was he a little caught up too much in the, in the, in the measurables in terms of, 40 times in terms of beat test numbers. Were, were there more intangibles to be measured for guys like, you know, just thinking of guys that play for you and Rion's one of them, his age is obviously a factor, but a guy like Taylor Howden. Taylor Howden is a very innate rugby player. He knows what to do. He, a lot of his stuff is natural, but if you looked at him, you looked at the guy, his body type is, it doesn't scream international rugby player. His, his 40 time may not scream that his fitness numbers may not scream that, but, how much, you know, did Al look at those fitness numbers and was a little bit too much, perhaps, versus some of the guys in the country that I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, uh, you've hit the nail on the head. And, you know, I know Al knows that I think this way. Um, so I'm not saying anything that will come as a surprise to him. Um, 
uh, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you look at the Tiger team that played against Spain, you know, I remember walking out there with the boys and we looked across the paddock and uh, they were fit, they were lean, they were fast as hell, and they were, I think, European champions, okay? And I remember looking at the guys and I pulled them in the huddle and I said, guys, you, you know, we're all a bunch of rejects. They're fitter than us. They're faster than us because, you know, we haven't trained together. We've had one training session together. Spain's been together for months. In fact, the last time we saw them was in, uh, in uh, Kenya and they, they did a bit of a number on us, although the score wasn't as reflective of the game, as, in, in my opinion. Um, and uh, I looked at the guys and I said, but you know what, guys, there's one thing that we have that they don't have. And the, and the boys all looked at me and I said, what is that, coach? And I said, we've got better rugby players. It's that simple. We retain the possession and we play rugby and we make them tackle us and we make them tackle us and we make them tackle us and we execute and we'll win the game. And guess what? We won the game. We won the game. In fact, the guy that I, I want to name two guys in that, in, in, in that game that really saved the day. One of them is a, is a boy that plays for me by the name of Edgar Pitts. Uh, he played for uh, UC Santa Barbara. Sorry, Cal Poly. Cal Poly, yeah. Um, and he uh, he came down to Belmont and he struggled for a couple of years with uh, hip injuries and all kinds of things. Um, man, what a heart. He saved us a couple of times uh, over that Vegas weekend. He came back, made a, a cover tackle on Spain. We got a turnover, worked the, boy, worked the ball up the field. And uh, Justin Boyd finished, you know, an amazing try, beating two two defenders. The bottom line was that we beat them by, by playing with better rugby players than they are on the pitch. And that's all I'm saying. Is if, when we look at the Eagles, let's put 12 rugby players on that squad so that no matter what happens with injuries, the next guy that steps in is just as good. And I think that's what we're lacking right now. I don't think you can look at that squad or any of the squads of the last year and a half and honestly tell me you can start any one of those 12 guys. You know, in in defense of uh, Al on talking about the the numerics, is is the thing is that I I think he varied out of that at times. You know, Nessie Malifa was on that team, and maybe you know he, he was he was not a regular, and he became a regular under Al, and he was certainly not one of the fastest players in the team, and you know things like that. Um, and on the uh, conversely, Kevin Swearin showed up. To play sevens, and and Caravelli was told that he wasn't really going to come pan out as a sevens player, and and actually it was it was Swearin's, uh speed numbers that that got him noticed. Of course, after he had the speed numbers that got him noticed, then he uh, showed some other rugby skills that that really translated well. Um, my my issue with Al and and um, I haven't really talked about this much, if at all, but is that he would he would do something like we're gonna we're gonna do the crossovers crossovers is big we're gonna take these athletes we're gonna cross them over and then he would essentially abandon that mm-hmm. and then he would move to another thing and and he would talk to me about fitness fitness was paramount and I think fitness was paramount in two thousand five two thousand six because I think he showed up and he looked at the team and he felt it was, they were very unfit he said if we change the fitness level um, we're gonna be better right off the bat that's a major change and that's fine. But then, then he he'd move away, and then he would go to another thing that he wanted to think about, and he want he wanted to 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 work on another aspect, and it, it's not it's like he couldn't mix them all together. 
And I think that you know some of the changes he made were important. The fitness aspect, saying that we should change the athleticism level of the team, uh, move the team up a, up a notch. But at some point, you've got to continue to look at what you're doing and examine, examine it and tweak it a little bit. I don't think he did that. And I think at the end, we're you know, like you're saying, James, that, that there are, you're looking at some players and saying, why is he on there? Why is he on there? Is he there to make a statement that um, that this this type of player measurement works? Well, I don't well know. let me let me respond to that by saying that, and this is why I actually feel bad for Earl because I don't think people realize how much he he raised the bar. You know, I remember when we came in, uh, we came to uh, was Chuck Bay in 2006. It was our first time at Nationals and it was, you know, the big stage. That was the big stage, at, you know, at that point in my life for us. And um, I was the new coach and he came down and he selected one of my players, Dallin Stanford at the time, who was the tournament leading scorer. Um, he was, he had an outstanding tournament. Um, but L at that point, the national team, the level of fitness was just horrific. I mean, it was average. And now you look at the guys that come into camp, every single one of them is in pretty, pretty good shape. You know, whether they're in international shape or not is another question, but you can get there pretty easily. But the, the level of expectation is so much higher. The bar is so, so much higher in six years. And I don't think people understand that. The big point to this is, is that the rest of the international community, sevens rugby is progressing at an almost exponential rate. I mean, the, the level that even we play at when we go to these tours, you know, these tours in Kenya. I mean, these guys are just incredible athletes, incredibly well, um, incredibly fit guys. So, so yeah, Al did a great job in that, in that regard. I don't think he ever went away from that. He always expected a, a base level of fitness. He just took it for granted that the players would come in at that level. And if they didn't, yeah. sorry, you're not even going to get looked at. I look at it and I say, all right, I don't necessarily always agree with the whole crossover athlete thing. We, we beat that uh, to a dead horse. and But I also look at it and say, between the 15s players and everything, if you look at his record, in 2006 when he took over, I mean, hey, that was tough times. 2007 World Cup year, struggled, but, you know, did a couple things. 2008, after the World Cup, you know, was okay. 2009, pretty good. 2010, really good. 2011, World Cup year, a little bit off. Um, people had gone back, and, and, and a lot of the players that really had gotten contracts and had done and had been successful had been sevens guys. And, and I'm not being... You know, I'm not going to be a, a jerk about it. Yes, there have been some absolute failures in terms of the in terms of the crossover athletes. But it's it's almost like you know, it's almost like hey, he took a shot at it. It was his thing that he took a shot. I totally, I do disagree with it, and I do disagree with the cheap cap, and I do disagree. But hey, there were cross there was a crossover athlete named Dan Lyle, who, you know, I. I didn't always have perfect games. Crossover athlete Richard Tarditz, although he did play in France when he was younger. But, you know, they, there were crossover athletes that people had taken chances on that had done pretty well. And and Zina Gwenya, and, you know, you look at guys and say, yes, it did happen. So I'm not going to sit there and say it's impossible 
to have happen. It happened. And I do agree that you definitely need rugby players. I totally agree. I don't even believe in fitness testing. I think that if you watch a guy play, and if you have a decent eye for rugby, you can tell. You can tell. And you could run guys, and you could tell. I don't care. You can tell. One of the things that comes up a lot, especially on uh, here in California, here in California, on the West Coast, is uh, is Polynesian players, and Polynesian players often don't score well on fitness tests, but they seem to be able to play rugby just fine. Well, there are there are also there are also times though that there there is a balance in that, and 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 at the end of the day, you do have to be fit mentally and physically to play. For the 14 minutes of the seventh game. Now, looking forward, I don't know what Mags is going to do. I do know that Mags is pretty good friends with Al, as as they did play at the AC together. Or Al, Al was the coach of the AC, and Mags was um, a player and a captain. So, I mean, they are pretty good friends. They have been, you know, there has been an influence. I mean, Al brought Mags on, and 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 there are people that. I think that the biggest thing, and I agree with James on this in a huge way, is that the lack of coaching at the sevens level is abysmal. And even to the point of sevens flag rugby for little kids and things of that nature, we are not exposing people to the game. And in sevens and fifteens or whatever it is, we're not developing people to become sevens coaches. And again, we can sit and look, but we, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to say, Oh, it's money. It's this, it's that money, you know, desire doesn't cost anything. Commitment doesn't cost anything. Enthusiasm doesn't cost anything. And those are the things that actually get you to win. Samoa has no money. Fiji has no money. Kenya has no money. They're successful because they have those three aspects. And I think, and I still say that a lot of this comes from the top. And a lot of it comes from the, the, the board, the, the, the chairman of the board and the CEO and the director of rugby. And we can sit and we can sugarcoat this until we're blue. But it, it, the things that happen at that level get people so sick and and tired of rugby that they don't even want to deal with the nonsense. The five-year plan that came out after, you know, a year late basically said get young people to pay pay taxes so that we can spend their money. That's what it said. Bruce. Yeah? Let Let me interject by saying this, and I'll say more than just this, but let me interject by saying this, that... And I'll, it's for show's sake. It's not for my life's sake. But for show's sake, this is more about Sevens and uh, Al being out and Alex being in than it is about let's go after USA Rugby. Because honestly, we go after USA Rugby quite a bit, and there's always room to do that. Well, bro, 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 I don't go after – I haven't gone after USA Rugby in ages. So bottom line is Al's out, but is it Al's fault? That's what I'm saying. Is it completely – is it 100% Al's fault that Al's out? How much more has USA Rugby given Al to work with in the last three years when the rest of the world is advancing exponentially? 
when, when teams like Kenya are getting pro contracts two years ago and Spain is on pro contracts and Russia was on pro contracts two years ago, Elwell is expected to fight with one arm behind his, one hand tied behind his back. And, 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 and that's one thing I do want to say. I'm not saying it's USA Rugby's fault because maybe the funds just aren't there. Um, but the bottom line is, is that take everything into consideration when you look at win-loss record. And that's definitely one big variable. We brought this up in another show a while ago and they talked about what is the Sevens plan. And, and I said at the time, and, and the plan was wait for the USC, USOC to come in and put some money behind it and pay for the program. And that has always been the plan. There was no other plan to provide, um, you know, you know, a, a, any kind of backup pathway. And there was no, you know, there was uh, Al, you know, whether he was right or wrong, he never got a, he very rarely got a chance to be proven right in this. In that he um, he begged for warm up game, warm up tournaments. Yep. Every single year, he wanted to go. He wanted to go to Singapore. He want he he would tell me we're going to go to this thing. He wanted to he wanted to, uh, a team to go to the World University Games. They committed to the world. They were in the draw for the World University Games. The team was taken out. Um, when he was able to get something going, like he had the training camp in Fiji, what what you saw was a very quick progression, a, a quicker progression to good play. And and I think that. I mean, Al probably got start, got tired talking to me about it. But if he looks at Wellington and Las Vegas, yes, poor performances and a one and nine record in those two two tournaments. But getting a little bit closer in the games in Vegas means that if you had a warm up tournament, is it possible that he would have had those close games in Wellington and wins in Las Vegas? It's possible. Those things he kept asking for, he didn't get them. I asked uh, Nigel Melville about him, and Nigel would say it's Al's budget. He gets sets it whatever he wants. If he if he's able to work the budget to get a a, a tournament early on, all power to him. So you know he, it's I guess it's down to the head coach. But we we know that there weren't any extra resources diverted that way. Alex, you make a great point. You know we were in Kenya in November, and our first game I think I've already said on, on this program is our first game was against Samoa. We got smoked, absolutely smoked. I don't think we saw the ball. But let me tell you something. The boys learned a ton in that game. Our second game was against Spain. We lost 30-0. It was very close to halftime, and it was one of those games. I know it sounds like a massive score, but it wasn't that big of a score um, based on the game that I saw. And I knew that we came out of that game feeling very, very angry with ourselves. We went won the last four games in a row, beat a, a few countries, and beat Mwamba and Bristol and a bunch of pretty big teams. Um, and we came back and we beat Spain in Vegas. You know, but we did it because we had a warm-up game in Kenya, and and I agree with you, man. I think if if the Eagles had a couple of warm-up tournaments, it would make a massive difference. Believe me, South Africa is out there playing as the Vipers, uh, the Poms are out there playing as you know Samurai, all kinds of different teams. Uh, Fiji's playing as Samurai. You know, there's there's these guys are playing massive tournaments before they go to the RB circuit. We come in r- raw, we lose, and everyone freaks out and wonders why. And James, what about Las Vegas? What about the LVI, the men's elite sevens? Tiger was there, right? right. Spain, Chile, uh, um, a whole bunch of other uh, countries or or um, professional teams from other national uh, organizations, all there to play. United States wasn't there. Well, There wasn't a USA B team in the men's elite sevens. Well, let me... 
Yeah. So let me let me say one thing. I want I want to make a point. Okay. So like Aaron Manheimer runs uh, the Chicago Alliance. Paul Holmes runs eighteen twenty three. Two really really good programs. Lots of really good young players. Um, Chicago's probably a lot more mature team that's been playing for a while. If Chicago played the Tigers in Las Vegas, which we thought we were going to end up having to do in the quarterfinals, but we screwed up with with the points that we needed um, and ended up having to play Spain in the quarters, which didn't help. But if we played Chicago, it probably would have been a smash-mouth two-point game. And the reason why is because Chicago's played us. They know what it's like. They're not intimidated by us. They know what we're all about. But they've never played international teams. So they went and they played Chile, and they got smoked. Chile, we smoked Chile. I mean, we ended up tying them in uh, Vegas, but we smoked them in Argentina the year before. Uh, Spain, we played in Nairobi, and we knew we could beat them. Spain beat, I think, uh, Chicago by six tries, and we ended up beating Spain. You know, a lot of it's just about exposing yourself to this level of athletes and this level of, of play. And, you know, Aaron's a great coach. They've got a great team there. Um, I, I, and same thing with Paul and, uh, and 1823. I think the players were just so intimidated that they, they buckled under the pressure. But play them again next week, and I promise you it'll be a different story. But wait, me, are, we, are, we looking at, are we looking at the fact that, you know, the only thing we're worried about is the top 20 guys? This is where I'm going with this, and I don't know where anyone say why anyone's not even buying into this. There's more to sevens than the top twenty guys, and that's all that we're worried about. Now we, I understand that the now and hey, I sound like an Al apologist, and believe me, and you can ask Al. Although we're friends, we have had battles, and I mean battles, public battles in front of people. But the fact is. I just think that the way this entire thing was handled was wrong. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that he deserves the job and I don't believe that. And I also think that I'm really hopeful that mags can do a wonderful job. They're meant. And I think that the sevens community is a very, is a very tight and, and unfortunately too small of a community that, but the fact of the matter is, I think this was handled poorly, and we're sitting there, and we're focusing on the ancillary issue, the main issue, director of rugby, chairman of the board. Where have you been in the entire time? And there has to be something done, coaching, refereeing. We don't do anything. We, the only sevens, it, it's basically guys like me, Alex, and Pat running around playing sevens in tournaments and a couple guys. And nobody's dealing with the referees. Nobody's dealing with it. I just I think that there's a serious disconnect with the what we need to do. If we think we're going to rock up to the Olympics, we may not even qualify. Bruce, can can I interject for a second? I I, I think you make a you make a great point. You know, the one thing Pat called me about this yesterday. What do you think about El resigning? This that and the other. The one thing that really gets me at this point and and i'd calls from a bunch of coaches around the country you know asking me what's going on do i know anything do you know anything yada 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 the bottom line is, is that there's a lot of us there's quite a few of us there's probably more than than people realize that are extremely committed to growing sevens in this country and rugby in general 
And we've had absolutely no contact from USA Rugby, none. We haven't been asked opinions. We haven't been asked who we think should be the next coach. You know, we don't get asked who the players are. And to Al's credit, here's a guy that would use, call me on a regular basis and say, James, you know, whether I'm going to listen to you or not, I'm going to, I'm going to hear what you have to say. You know, and I agree with you, Bruce. I think we've got resources around this country that our leadership should start listening to because we are the feet on the ground, right? And we're the guys that are coaching these boys. We no, are the I, I, you're, you're the actually you're the only thing that is saving it. Not not saying you personally, but you uh, know, yeah, guys yeah. in general are the only thing that's saving it. And and the fact of the matter is, they're still going to need Al Caravelli. Yep. And 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 Alex is going to need Al Caravelli. And you for what you're doing with the Tigers is going to need them. And because and Emil and people who are and Aaron and people who are very passionate about sevens. Of which I'm not one of them. Yeah. However, I am passionate about rugby. And I am passionate about the way you do things. And I am passionate about the way you treat people. And I am passionate about the way you treat people who are volunteers. And I am passionate about the way you treat people who are volunteers when you have abdicated your responsibility and been paid for it for a half of a decade. And then you complain about money. So I do have a real problem with this. We'll be right back and we'll be probably talking about the new coach as opposed to the travails of the old coach of the U.S. Sevens team. We'll be talking about Alex Magleby. We have James Walker from Belmont Shore right here on Rugged Matrix America. We'll be right back. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. And we're back. And, Pat, it is your turn. If we can get back to it, I would like to just ask about Alex Magleby. Uh, James, I don't know what your relationship is like with this guy. Yeah. But uh, and I don't know what you know about him. I know he played for Al, as as Bruce alluded to earlier. He played for Al at Nyack. Um, he I know he played for Andy Katoa, one of Al's assistants at Aspen for a little bit. Um, and and Alex Nagelby is obviously a guy who has led Dartmouth to a CRC Collegiate Rugby Championship championship, um, the CRC Sevens Championship. Um, and that's a team that is probably would have been considered under-athleted, under-talented than other teams in the in the tournament. Um, so you'd think that he helped schematically and, and uh, you know, every, every other way help get them to the championship. But what is your, James, what being one of the leading guys in sevens in the United States of America, what is your take on a guy like Alex Bagley? What has your exchange been with him, and what do you think of him as a coach? Well, I, I'll be honest. I, I – um... I've only met Alex a couple of times. I, I obviously, I watched what, what he did with Dartmouth. Um, I'm not sure that that is what I would base my, you know, decision on because I think the level of college sevens in this country is pretty low. And I know that's going to probably anger a lot of the listeners on this show, but it, it, it is the truth. I mean, you, you take the top college team against any one of the top club teams and, and, in sevens especially, and it's going to be a, a massacre. But that said, Alex is a guy who's played at the highest level. I've met him. He seems like a great guy. And and most importantly, um, and this is one thing that that 
I know it's, it's part of my philosophy in coaching is that the boys that I speak to love him. They speak very, very highly of him. And that to me is enough, you know, and, and I think when it comes to coaching, I think we don't have enough of that. We don't listen to the players. Ultimately, our role as coaches is to do what we can do to move the players forward as much as possible. They come into our programs. We have developed them. If they're ready to move on, like uh, um, uh, Manoa in, uh, in, in Golden Gate. Sam and Manoa, yeah. yeah. Let's move them on. That's what we're here for. It's not about our little fiefdoms, you know, and I think we're still stuck in that old old school 1995, here we go, pro idea of of watching out for our own clubs. Yes, our clubs are very important. I mean, Belmont Shaw is very important to me. Uh, Nike's incredibly important to Bruce McLean, I'm sure, Bruce. Um, but at the end of the day, our job is to make better players, better people, bring them in, move them on, because we'll get back fivefold what we, what we move on. Well, I think one of the things to remember about Alex Mackleby is that he's an American-produced player and coach. Also worth remembering that he coached the All-American Sevens team at the National All-Star Championships to a 5-1 and record. So uh, he's played a, he's coached at uh, a level above the collegiate Sevens level, so that's important to know. And not many people may know this. Um, he actually played for Highland Rugby in Utah and played for Larry Gelwick's there and then went to play rugby for Dartmouth. He went to Dartmouth and, uh, uh he's a very smart guy, but he's, he's got his foot in, in two different realms of played, American rugby. And he, and he, well, he also well, that's played. why he's such a great player. Bruce. And, he did play yeah. for me at the New York athletic club. And I, and yeah. I will say that Alex is a wonderful guy and he's going to make a wonderful coach. And I think that the problem now is that we don't have a, a sense of direction and haven't had one for a very long time. And I think that a lot of people are being scapegoated. And we're not looking at the potential source of the problem. Can Alex win? Can Mike win? Can Peter Steinberg win? Can Rick Suggett win? If what has stayed the same stays the same. There is one constant in all of this. With Tiger Rugby, one of the whole ideas behind Tiger Rugby is that is that we don't want to be told what to do. We want to put together an organization that can go around the world, paint American rugby in the best possible light and win and show people that it's possible to win with players that are coming from this country at the highest level. Now, highest level, obviously, outside the RB circuit. But let me tell you guys, the top club teams, and I mean the top, top club teams, will smoke most of the top RB teams. And I think people don't understand that. Um, you know, that's what, what we want. We don't want to be dealing with the bureaucracy, you know, quite frankly. Um, ideally, the bureaucracy sees some value in us and they want to work with us because ultimately our goals are aligned. But... We can't wait for them. We've got to move forward. We've got to go get our own sponsorship. I mean, we're talking about some big sponsorship dollars right now. I look at American rugby and I'm flabbergasted that we can't get, you know, I, I think you posted today, uh, Alex, the uh, the financials. Yes. And I was looking at the sponsorship dollars for 2010. Was it like a million dollars? Yep. That's I right. mean, that is just a criminal. How is that possible? You know, for for sending teams around the world 
with millions of viewers and we're getting a million dollars you know i mean maybe this is a for another show but i yeah but well it, it's it's possible because just just like when you have a team uh, a rugby team that has a lot of players so they stop recruiting and then suddenly a couple of years later they uh um they suddenly say we don't have any players because they they all, all these other guys got old or whatever it is it's uh you you have one or two big sponsors and one of them goes away and you don't have anything to replace it because you didn't Worked to replace it. He looked and said, "Hey, we've got two and a half million dollars." And then a million and a half goes because. Uh, national, the, is it was yeah, that national guard? National, yeah. national, national guard. The national guard changes as, as was evident, it probably would. Um, yeah, you, uh, you, you, we didn't have we we didn't have anything coming in after. But which, you know, the idea is you 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 want if you've got two and a half million this year, you want four million next year and you want eight million yeah, the year after. Theoretically, but you've got to you're you got to be able to show, you know, value for the dollar too. But Bruce, Bruce makes a good point, you know, with um look at Samoa, Tonga, countries like that that are ranked above us in the fifteens. What do they have? They've got nothing. You know, they've got player base we got a player base that's larger than the population of their island. Something's wrong with I that. I totally agree. And the fact of the matter is we can sit and we can talk until we're purple. It starts at the top. Period. Well, we probably will sit and talk till we purple if we keep this up. Yeah. All right. So we, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Just uh, I'm going to have one more question for James. And uh, um, I, I do want to thank James for spending this uh, time with us. Um, and l- looking ahead then – uh, you know, if 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 you're a coach listening to this show, if you're uh, you know a, a club administrator, if you're a, a coach at the youth level, it doesn't matter what. What can we do to help Alex Magleby going forward? I actually think it's the other way around. I think Alex Alex is a really good guy. I've met him. He's a very smart boy. He knows his stuff. Um, I'm going to do personally what I can do to help him, but I think Alex needs to reach out there and and create a network of people that he trusts uh, to bring players forward to him because the United States is a very big, very big place. And it's, it's a very unique situation to the rest of the rugby world. You know, I, I don't think you can get to the point where you, you can have just, you, you can't have a coach going out there to every single region once a month. It's just not going to happen. It's a very big place. So what you've got to do is you've got to build a, a layer of people that you trust to bring people forward to you, to bring players forward to you. And uh, I think what Alex needs to do, in my opinion, is to reach out to the layer of coaches that are below him, people like, you know, Manama, Holmes, Ryan, all those guys, and, um, and see what they have to say, because these guys are putting their heart and their soul into the game, and they would love to be involved. Well, yes, they're, they're doing the good work, and, and I, I think in a way that they're, they're on independent away from USA Rugby. They're independently trying to uh, produce programs, as you said, at Skilkoo River and Chicago and in Columbus, Ohio, and in the uh, Southern California uh, with Tiger Rugby. It's, it's kind of, Bruce, it's kind of like a Ron Paul uh, rugby revolution, that they're just on their own, they're doing their own thing, and they're not worried and beholden to any large organization to do yeah. that. Well, that, that, can that, of worms you open. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think that that's the way it has to be. I think that there's too much, uh, there's too much uh, centralized power in USA rugby. I, I, I felt that way for a long time. So, you know, you don't have to twist my arm on that crap. So, uh, with that, James Walker, who is now president 
of Belmont Shore and uh, running Tiger Rugby. Uh, we really, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we learned a lot. I know I did. Thanks, guys. I, pre- I appreciate your, uh, your time and your interest. And uh, so for Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean, this is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com reminding you, check out Rugby Matrix Coach Talk. We have a new one coming up, uh, or it may have just been posted, but very uh, a new one with Bob Dwyer. you got to check out that. Check out RugbyMatrix.com for the Rugby Matrix International Show and also all the past Rugby Matrix America shows. You can also go to the iTunes store and download the show that way. Or, of course, just go to RugbyMag.com where you will get all the, the, the breaking news. Uh, sign up for the Premier side and, and, and be a Premier member of RugbyMag.com because you do get stuff before everybody else and you do get stuff that nobody else gets. Uh, and, and we're really proud of that. So, for Bruce and Pat, this is Alex Goff saying thanks for listening to Rugby Matrix America. Thank you.